if I'm loving me and living for me the best, I will show up as the best version of myself. I won't be in fight or flight. I won't be resisting my life. I will be falling in love with my life. The more that I fall in love with my life, the more that I fall in love with myself, the more that I'm able to love everyone around me and pour my heart, my whole heart, because I'll be showing up wholly in everything that I do. Welcome to Leaders Labyrinth. I am your host, Michael Grant. We take you on a journey with resilient individuals who share how they have achieved the extraordinary. This show is designed to empower you to take the lead in your life's quest through the wisdom of our leaders, inflicting truth, possibility, and fueling your hearts with passion of what sets your souls on fire to becoming your best version of self. Dale Carnegie, the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People once said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Today's leader in our labyrinth has been a speaker on multiple TED Talks. She is a certified business coach, a CEO, a hypnotist, and a performing artist. From actress to homeless, to dental C-suite, to struggling entrepreneur, she found her way to hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming, forever changing her brain and her life. It is my great honor to introduce to you, Holly Ann Mitchell. We are here in the labyrinth in Los Angeles with the extraordinary Holly Ann Mitchell. Holly. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm super chill today. I just got back from Mexico last night. I did a sound bath today. I sound like a real Angelino. You are like beaming from your eyes. <laughs> I need a trip to Mexico in a sound bath. Sign me up for that. It sounds like the best therapy you can get. You know, after 15 years of living in New York and that high pressure environment, I'm really enjoying this LA lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a true Angelino until you have a sound bath. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, Holly, it's a pleasure to have you with us in the labyrinth. So question for you. If you could place a moment of the most interesting thing that happened to you in 2022 so far, what would that be? Oh, it had to be my housewarming party. Yeah. I feel so bad. I wish I was there. You should. I know. <laughs> I, was... I said that just so that you would feel bad for not being there. No, it, it really was. Yeah. Um, even just thinking about it makes me emotional. Oh, we're already going in. We're going in, guys. Um, I moved here in August of last year of 2021 after probably what I would call a, a breakdown, breakthrough, breakdown, breakthrough moment. And I've had a few of them in my life, like real whammies of a, of a breakdown that always preceded a breakthrough and a moment of reinvention, really, for myself. And that, that happened in July when I was living in Nashville during the pandemic. And I decided that I was going to come to L.A., and that I was going to make some really big, important decisions that would alter my career and my personal life. And one of the words that 
I wrote down of what Los Angeles would bring to my life that I was lacking was community. You know, after living in New York for 15 years, which can be incredibly isolating, and then going on an entrepreneurial path, which I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit, that can also be incredibly isolating. I was craving community in the worst way, especially being an extrovert. Like, I... I measure my happiness by the smiles of people around me <laughs> being an extrovert. So I, I knew I needed to be surrounded by people who I love and, and who love and support me. And my housewarming party, which happened in March after I moved here to Los Angeles, in just a few short months, I had built that community. I was sitting in my house surrounded by almost 30 people and my friends were doing sets of different songs I have, I have a lot of really artistic friends and and I got to perform too and and that was something that I had in my head that my home would be a gathering place for artists and and for love and that vision was realized and so I'm sitting in the middle of my floor while all of this is happening while these this like mini home concert was happening all around me and I just had tears streaming down my face and and I and I felt so at home really at home I felt welcomed to my home for the first time in my life that's so beautiful and I'm so happy that there's so many people that came out to show their love for you and show you how much they mean to you. Um, I know you did invite me. I wasn't able to make it, but um, since you and I have connected, I felt like you and I have had a very natural, organic friendship kind of blossom. Uh, we have some passions that cross over, but you're also operating completely different realms than I'm operating in. And you have a very um, warm, friendly and um inviting energy about you and you you really when we met you put yourself out there and you told me that you just moved here from new york um and that was at a national speakers association meeting and um you just you put yourself out there in a way where you make people feel welcomed and you make them feel like they're important and um so thank you for opening up your home and letting us do this show here to learn more about you in that journey. Um, my question to you is, I guess you can kind of virtually isolate anywhere, whether you're in you know, Florida or New York or LA, right? So what steps did you start taking to start expanding that community for yourself to build here in Los Angeles? Well, I think just, just like you said, when I would meet people, I'd say, hey, I'm new here. Yeah. <laughs> right? There was no I, avoiding you. Uh, no, hello, I'm new. I need friends. Will you be a friend of mine? And um, I was like, where do I sign? <laughs> yes, you're awesome. Um, yeah, it really was just putting myself out there and, and going out and experiencing the world and, and talking to people which many years ago I would not have done at all. <laughs> I had a lot of social anxiety as a, as a child and didn't have friends. And my mother felt really bad. I had a great mom. I still have a great mom. She's great. But she, mm -hmm. she was really great at understanding what I needed as a child and tried to support me as best as she could. 
when I was 13 years old, my mom bought me the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Great book. I've read it. I still read that book every year and it, I remind myself, oh yeah, I really should focus more, more on that. I like that. the rule about smiling. Yes. I'm like literally <laughs> it works smiling so well. this whole conversation so far. It does. It does, right? Give people a smile. Um, you know, it just breaks that ice. Mm. And I, I think that the reality, once you realize that everyone around you is just craving connection and you can be the leader of that connection by just reaching out to them and showing vulnerability and showing warmth and people will melt right away because they're they're just craving it they want to connect people are trying to connect and they just need a safe container in which to do so but when I was 13 I had a I had a lot of trouble connecting with my peers I was kind of a weird kid and my mom bought me that book and it it sort of became my map for navigating myself socially (laughs) Uh, I didn't really get good at making friends until I was about 29. So it took a long time. Um, but, uh, but I still use, use those principles today. And, um, and I'm really grateful for them because I've, I've gotten the community that I longed for back when I was 13. So if someone's listening to this podcast right now, you might just be isolating <laughs> to listen to the show. But what, is some, what are three things someone can do like today? to break out of that isolation. Do you mean in the context of trying to make new connections or trying to uh, deepen connections of people that are already in your network? I like that question because it's intentional. So I guess it starts with what's your intention? Mm -hmm. And maybe there's not a lot of motivation to break out of an isolated state or a bubble because it's so comfortable and you know it so well and it's safe. So I guess if you're just trying to make a new connection with somebody, what is maybe one or two or three things that come to mind for you? I think some of the deepest friendships I've ever gotten and and creating fast friends is really just around having shared experience, I find. Um, I, I sign up for adventurous retreats or strange activities <laughs> because if you're, if you're, Going out and, you know, I signed up for a fitness retreat to Morocco. I uh, signed up to go run through Iceland. I signed up for a life coaching retreat in Costa Rica. When you go to these unique experiences, people there, uh, their walls are broken down because they're pulled out of their environment. So my, my best friends in the whole world are people that I've met on those trips. Um, because that shared experience, you you really grow fast connections and deep connections with people. So if, if you can be bold enough to sign up for some kind of outrageous experience, whether it's something local or something where you can travel, I think, I think you can uh, meet people really well. But sometimes it's as simple as acknowledging people, you know, acknowledging somebody for a job well done or acknowledging somebody that they look really fly today and you want to tell them that right because if they took the if they took the initiative to put together an outfit and you know like yeah that that took some intention right compliment them on that because they they want to hear that it feels really good and it's an easy way to start a conversation with somebody Um, because like I said people are just walking around craving connection they just need you to open the door that's powerful just acknowledging somebody 
saying hi. You don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. I've made some of my greatest friends like at the gym and we happen to just share the same passions and we end up, you know, collaborating and doing things together. Um, just reaching your hand out. Um, one of my guests on the show, Ivan said, the cool thing about giving a handout is that your hand is in the position to receive something too. So it's always kind of like, you know, you can't receive until you give. First. Definitely. And you can let people know too, like, you know, once, once you've realized that there is a natural chemistry between you and this other person, maybe shared interests or your conversation flows really well, just say, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation and I've been trying to be more intentional about making new connections and developing new friendships as an adult. Um, if that's something that you're open to, I'd love to schedule some time to go and do something together if that's something you're into. Um, you know, it doesn't, even for people, like sometimes people might think you're trying to hit on them, right? But if you if you frame it in a way that you're like, hey, I'm just being intentional about making more friends, it makes it safe for them to spend that time with you. And who knows, you might develop an, a romantic connection too with someone. You never know that's if that's true. what you're looking for. But if you never take the step, you'll never develop it, right? That's right. So not everything's just going to fall right on your lap. And I think that's a very important thing of living a life of intention and living a life that you want by design. Um, having the intention to uh, pollinate your network and to um, suggest things, build that frame. Like how do you control the frame of, you know, positioning something that's going to bring that person into your life? Hey, there's this cool show all Friday night downtown. Um, would you be interested in going? something like that where it's like a fun or an active environment like uh like you were talking about running in iceland which is pretty extreme and that sounds awesome i would love to do that so sign me up but um all great feedback well it doesn't have to be as extreme as iceland just like you said right because i'm part of the theater community here mm -hmm. in hollywood and whenever there's a play going on you know, I'll, I'll start reaching out to people like, who haven't I talked to in a while? Oh, I haven't talked to this person. Let me see if they want to come to the play with me. And we can meet up before for dinner or we can hang out after the play and talk about the play. And that's another way to, to deepen those relationships. Definitely, definitely. And I've learned that just asking questions leads to more questions. So, you know, oh, like, do you live in the area? Which is a very simple one. Or if, uh, if you're at theater, like, oh, how long have you been acting? Or what's your favorite musical? Or, um, you know, who inspired you to take this path? And you get to learn those people on a deeper level. So I want to transition into your, your occupation. So you're a leadership coach, a hypnotherapist, a public speaker, making appearances on TED Talks. You're a business coach. You're a singer. You're an actress. And an amazing one, by the way. What is the fuel of your fire that's inside of you that pushes you to do all these amazing things? It's so funny. I've lived so many lives, like just hearing that list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that the fuel for my fire is different now than it was before. Um, I think initially the fuel for my fire for mastering any different things that I was interested in, whether it be business consulting or public speaking or, or even learning about the brain and, and going down the path of becoming a certified life coach. Initially, I really believe that my fuel was coming from a place of trying to prove something, um, maybe from desperation 
I went through a really traumatic period of my life when I was 22 years old. I had just graduated from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. I moved to New York when I was 18. My only dream my whole life was always to be on Broadway. And so that's where my artistic, my creative uh, side really got to, to shine. And then when I graduated school, I ran out of money rather quickly and ended up sleeping on couches. I was homeless and felt like a failure. And I felt like acting was not a viable path for me. And at the time, I felt like if I wasn't a performer, that my life didn't have any meaning or purpose. And I thought about ending my life, to be quite honest, at the time. And I decided, well, I could end my life or I could build a new one. And so I thought about building a new one. And I looked at all of my skills and interests and came across this idea of maybe I'll go into dentistry. Maybe I'll be a dentist. <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> That's too... That's so cool, though. It's, it's, it's kind of bizarre, but uh, and everyone in my life thought it was. Um, but it, it's not too far off. I, I'm good at math and science. I have nice teeth. I like helping people. And it seemed like dentists make a lot of money. So that seemed like it would solve my problem <laughs> at the time. And so I threw myself into this dental career and left, and left my actor behind. And, um, and it was heartbreaking. It was the hardest breakup of my whole life was breaking up with the theater. To the point where every time I tried to sing for almost a decade after that, I would cry. And so I didn't, I didn't sing. I, I stopped performing and just threw myself into building this new life. Um, and that was, you know, I was really successful at it. But if I stopped moving, I would feel the sadness I was always kind of lingering in the background because my, my life was missing a piece of myself that always brought me so much joy. But if I just kept moving and kept working and climbing and producing and controlling every aspect of my life to make it as successful as it could be, then, then the sadness wouldn't find me until it did. And that's probably the best thing that ever could have happened was that it, would, it snuck up on me many years later. And, uh, and I had to go back and reclaim the part of me that I had left behind. What's so beautiful about um, what you just shared is you were facing some pretty uh, traumatic conditions emotionally. Um, a part of your life that you've known for most of your life, your identity, being a performer, an actor, you've come to a realization that that's not a path that is working for you. And you had to battle the demons that you were experiencing and you made a conscious decision to empower yourself to build a new path. So I just want to honor you for that. I want to acknowledge that because um, a lot of people don't find that power. And I think depression hits a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And that might be one of the ways it hits people on a, on a massive scale is their path ends somewhere and they don't know where to go or how to operate in this world or how to rebuild themselves. Um, I know you said you landed on dentistry. What, what was like kind of, what did you do at that point? Like, did you just make a decision and start Googling 
how to be a dentist or like, did you get a mentor? What would, what was that kind of journey like for you? Yeah, I started with the, with a research path. It was very practical Googling and f- figured out that I had to take certain exams to get into dental school and certain prerequisites. So I enrolled in those prerequisites and started studying for my DATs, which is the dental exams. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you go work at a dental office and see if you like it before you go back to school? And I was like, that's really good advice. So I called up a bunch of offices and of course I had no experience, so nobody wanted to hire me. (laughs) But I found one office on the Upper West Side of Manhattan that was willing to meet with me. So I went in and it was a tiny little dental office at the time, one doctor and five employees. And I went into his office and I said, look, you don't have to pay me anything. Just hire me for free. Then you can train me to do whatever you want. And then when I'm valuable to you, you can start paying me. (laughs) Because I was homeless. What did I have to lose? And he was like, okay. So they hired me to start at the front desk. And two weeks later, the doctor called me into his office. And he said, you're doing a pretty good job being a receptionist. But what I really need is a marketing director. What do you know about marketing? And I was like, nothing Hmm. yet but make me your marketing director I will figure it out and so he did and we doubled in size in the first year that I was his marketing director because of all the new patients that we were seeing and I figured out that I didn't want to be a dentist (laughs) but that I had a knack for the business side of things and ultimately, I worked my way up from being an unpaid receptionist to being the CEO of that same company just nine years later. Wow, that's incredible. And it, it grew a lot over that period of time. <laughs> amazing. And that started with your friend's suggestion to get familiar with the industry before you commit to doing the, the professional route. Um, the, what I love about the story is you're talking about giving services and time for free in exchange for value. And I don't think that's something that's widely adopted enough when people are trying to start a career or trying to earn um, more of a long-term path in a specific craft is it's okay to do things for free upfront because then it shows that you're committed, that you're accountable, um, that you're here because you're here for the mission and you really do want it and you're not just all about the money. Yeah, I think that there's... Definitely that building trust and building reciprocity, especially when it's early on. On top of that, I would add document your results and your process, right? So that you can replicate it later on. Mm. And then just when you deliver for that person above and beyond what they would have expected because you extended something for free to have them provide a testimonial for you. And then you get that high quality testimonial that you can then use to get paying clients later on. Brilliant, brilliant. There's a really good saying that if you do more than what you're paid for, you'll soon be paid more for what you do. Was that Napoleon Hill or? It might be, I don't know. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. Well, Um, it still stands the test of time. That is absolutely true. Wow, What, what a journey. What a journey. Do you feel like that? Uh, that period of that depression and um, what you had to overcome those obstacles do you think they help build resilience and strength or kind of made you this this uh, 
person you are today with so much integrity and fire? You know, I, I think of those parts of myself now. I, I spent so many years trying to get rid of them. The, mm. the parts of me that are sad, the parts of me that are angry, the parts of me that are anxious. And now I really recognize them for what they are. They're, they're superpowers. I can use them as fuel, right? I can use all of the frustration and pain. Number one, it helps me be a more compassionate person in my life because I'm able to meet people who are in that same place and help them because I've been there. I have been to the dark side, the dark edge of of my being. And, um, you know, the other is you can use all of that as fuel, right? Because... I was so unhappy with my life that it's what propelled me to make these powerful changes. Amazing. So you conduct workshops on fostering happiness, being a high performer, doubling your energy and priming your neurochemical state. What are three things someone can do to achieve these types of results? You know, it's interesting how I got how I got fascinated by the brain. There, there's so many moments in my life where I keep coming back to what is my brain telling me or what is my brain doing? Um, <laughs> I wonder that a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I came across this article one time and I think I was about 28 years old and it, it was talking about the nervous system. And I, I had this very inconvenient anxiety response to stress as a child and as a young adult called vasovagal syncope and vasovagal syncope is anxiety induced fainting so whenever i would get stressed out i would faint (laughs) great skill set to have (laughs) i mean if i was a superhero i would be the amazing possum that's exactly (laughs) what would happen Uh, if i was in a fight with my boyfriend i would faint if I was a trip to the doctor, I would faint. Um, you know, very inconvenient on the New York City subway. Um. It's hard to win an argument with somebody who fainted. <laughs> it's really so it's kind of a kind of a blessing. <laughs> yeah, it's really inconvenient. Yeah. And I was like, what is this thing? Um, but later on, I, I learned about what it was. I learned about fight, flight, freeze, or faint. And... I read this article and it said, it's not you, it's your nervous system. And I was like, wait, what? Like all of this, these patterns of anxiety, you know, even some of the depression that I was experiencing was really just my brain making a mistake. It wasn't actually me and my personality and that I could, that I had an option of changing it. That's when my mind was like, what? So I started to go down the rabbit hole and learn about my nervous system and started getting interested in neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis as more natural therapies. Um, I, I was always uh, medication avoidant just because I have a very sensitive system. Medications can be incredibly helpful for people who are struggling, but they were never a part of my path. And when I figured out that I could manufacture the, the chemicals that were in some of these medications and I could do them, I could manufacture them naturally through lifestyle, through eating, through these different techniques that I could interrupt these patterns in my nervous system, interrupt my brain pattern 
and teach my brain to do a different habit instead of the habit of going in an anxiety loop. Um, that's That just blew my mind. So I, I, I got really fascinated just as being a guinea pig on myself, trying to overcome my own anxiety and depression. And I discovered dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, which spell dose. That's awesome. So you can dose yourself with these happy neurochemicals to help you show up as your best self. So, so the way that I teach people this process is if you think of your brain, there's a, there's a basement of your brain and the penthouse of your brain. The basement of your brain, and if you actually tap on the base of your skull on the right-hand side, that's where your fight, flight, freeze, or faint, your amygdala gets triggered. And so on the back side of your body on the base is the basement. And when you're in the basement of your brain, you're in survival mode, right? So you lose access to the penthouse of your brain if you tap on your forehead. That's your prefrontal cortex. That's where all of the best parts of you live. Your creativity, your ability to have big picture thinking and, and dream big. Your empathy lives on the front side of your brain. Your ability to connect with others. So many parts of you that are useful and helpful for you to live your best life and show up as your best self, you need access to the penthouse of your brain in order to perform at the highest level. So being able to get your body out of the basement and back into the penthouse of your brain really just has to do with redirecting some of that energy in your brain and washing away the stress hormones like cortisol and norepinephrine and replacing them with these happy neurochemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins. So that's kind of like the big picture. Now you asked for like some specific things, right? Very, very simple. Um, The body tells the brain what to do and vice versa, right? So sometimes just by making a change in the body, you can make a change in your brain. The way that we breathe, right, the way that we move, and accessing the body through the five senses, what we see, smell, taste, touch, and listen to. So simple as this. You're having a bad day. You're super stressed out. What's a song that whenever you listen to it immediately changes your state? What's that song for you, Michael? Oh man, there's so many. Um, song for me would be I'm having a hard time thinking about it. I'll come back to it though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about what about a smell that you love? Coconuts. Coconuts. What is it about coconuts? I like coconut smells because they're just sweet and they smell happy. Yeah, they remind me of being on vacation too. Yeah, like a tropical environment. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you're, you could have something like a coconut lotion, you know, in your bag, like something that is going to trigger these positive associations in your brain because your brain recognizes coconut as happy for you. That's your own personal recipe for creating more of these neurochemicals of joy. So we can use our five senses, things that we see that make us smile, things that we smell, things that we taste, touch changes your brain. 
um, that's what my TED talk was on, was the healing power of a hug. Um, how to heal your brain with a hug. Touch has a huge impact on oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine inside of the brain. So touching yourself and getting hugs from other people is incredibly therapeutic and help can help change your state. So that's that's the recipe. It's figuring out what are the things that you have positive associations with, how you breathe, how you move, and the five senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. The more you can design your day and introduce these things that are your own personal recipe for joy, that's going to help wash away those stress hormones, which either might just be naturally occurring in your life, it might be a stressful time, or you might be somebody like me who tends to have a lot more of those stress hormones and a lot less of those happy hormones. You can wash them away and replace them with the happy hormones, kick your brain back into the penthouse so that you have more access to the best parts of you and you're feeling better in your life. You're actually in your life. That's pretty brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. I, I would say that uh, no one particular song, but my favorite band is Deftones and anything that they make makes me feel angelic. And I just get into this whole different energy when I hear their music. Yeah. And it's elevating. I love that. What's your song or so group? Right now, I just recently discovered the avalanches and my mind was blown. Never heard of them. I had never heard of them either until just a few days ago. And so the avalanches use their DJs and they use samples from old vinyl and combine them together in this like sonic dessert. <laughs> That's the That's only rad. thing I can describe it as. But the music is so positive and uplifting and um, it just makes you want to move your booty. Like I have been listening to this this band, this group, the Avalanches, and it has put me in the best mood. Um, I also listen to it while I'm doing yoga, and that that really helps the brain. Anytime you're moving your body, like walking, running, dancing, doing yoga, when you're accessing both hemispheres of the brain, you are redirecting energy away from the amygdala and back up away from the basement back up into the penthouse so just so you know every time you move your body you're you're helping your yourself your best self get back online wow that is an amazing life hack yeah easy uh, way to get unstuck what what if somebody has a recurring negative or disempowering thought and like let's say like you're by yourself um maybe in the car what like how do you navigate that this is going to sound ridiculous, <laughs> just putting it out there, <laughs> but it really works. So um, could you give me an example? Because we could play with this. What what might the thought like be? maybe if um, you had a conflict from the other day ago with a friend or like an argument with maybe your spouse that's not resolved and it's just making you feel bad or maybe just something personal that you went through in your life Um I don't know that you haven't let go of because I think we all kind of hold on to things yeah. throughout life. Well, usually the thoughts are either movies or soundtracks, right? For me, they're often soundtracks, which is like, you're the, I'm the worst or something like, like I'm the freaking worst, right? Yeah. Like that's the thought and it's just going on over and over. You can manipulate it, right? You can change that radio station 
you can also change the movie. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. So let's say that the thought is, I'm the freaking worst. Um, insert your favorite expletive, whatever that might be. Um, the way that you're going to change it is you're going to manipulate the track, right? Just like a DJ would sample this track and move and change it around, right? So you can move the words into different order, you know, like Yoda would do, like the freaking worst am I, right? <laughs> um, you can change the sound of the voice into a different character, like you can pitch it up, you know, very much like Kanye will take like samples of old soul music, like uh, Shaka Khan, and then like pitch it up, you know, through the fire, There's <laughs> some auto-tune on it. Yeah, um, yeah, do some auto-tune. Um, <laughs> pitch it up, you know, like it's Minnie Mouse. So you can be like, I'm the freaking worst, you know. Um, and so you're... Uh -huh. oh, 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 my God, that was so good. Yes, make it Mickey Mouse. <laughs> make it Donald Duck. Um, however, wh whichever character makes you laugh. Yeah. So, or just say it over and over until it doesn't even make sense anymore. Like, I'm the freaking worst. I'm the freaking worst. I'm the freaking worst. I'm the freaking worst. Like, it doesn't even, there's no language. There's no association to it. Just by playing with it and manipulating it, it loses its charge. It loses its emotional charge the second you start to manipulate the thought. It also gives you the power to change it. You're, the thought isn't controlling you. You are now the you are now the DJ. You are now the producer. You are now Kanye changing this track, right? And the same thing goes with the movie. You become the director. Whatever the image is that just keeps playing on repeat in your mind, make it black and white, turn it into a cartoon, play it backwards. However you can manipulate this image in your mind, make it smaller, further away, you know, blow it up until it's distorted. That is where you get the power back. Uh, it's a simple trick, but it, and it sounds crazy, but the next time you're experiencing it, figure out, is this a, is this an audio track or is this a is, is this a video and how can I change this and it will literally change the neurochemistry that's responding right because it was creating cortisol and stress hormones for you now it's creating dopamine because it's something that's different and also kind of silly you want to know what's crazy is that nobody teaches us this stuff on how to be human. <laughs> right? I know. What's crazy is sitting there with that recurring toxic thought and disempowering yourself or taking yourself out of the real moment that you are in um, and making yourself feel less than what you're like, not acknowledging your real worth and not figuring out a way how to, how to objectify these toxic recurring parts of yourself. I think that, it's such it's such an interesting point mm -hmm. to imagine that we've been indoctrinated to be powerless to our own minds right mm -hmm. that our initial instinct when we feel bad is to distract or numb us because it's so convenient to do that right we can go get our dopamine from instagram they they, they say um that you know pleasure is basically like it's distraction in a lot of forms, you know, but like real pleasure comes from like having value, like having purpose, you know, and like challenging yourself and living a life of intention, but like pleasure's good, but like too much pleasure 
is not good. It's just distracting. Yeah. And then nothing grows. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about your coaching strategy, um, for accelerating these businesses that you've worked with. Um, maybe there's like a business that's a dentist office, maybe it's something else. Um, where would a business owner start on that journey to accelerate their business? Well, I think the first step and the hardest step in changing your business as a business owner is to recognize that the limitations of your business are a reflection of your own personal limits. Wow, that's heavy. So if you're experiencing disorganization and chaos in your business, it's a reflection of how you're showing up in your leadership, right? Maybe there's some inconsistency in the way that you're approaching. Maybe you're, you're, you're reactive as a leader and that's creating patterns of reactivity in the people who are working for you. Right. So whatever you're looking at in your business that's uncomfortable for you and that you don't like is kind of a mirror to where you need to start on yourself. Brilliant. I want to talk about your uh, performance that I saw recently. <laughs> <laughs> so you do uh, live theater. Um, you're composing uh, musicals right now and writing your own um, pieces of work. So I got to see you perform in this uh, production called Rage Fairy. Wow, uh, that was uh, you had an insane amount of dialogue. It was like um, it was like a Shakespearean play <laughs> where the main character has lots and lots and lots of lines. But uh, bravo, by the way. Thank uh, but you. the great thing about your performance is that you you gave life to every line. Like nothing was thrown away. So I'm wondering what was your methodology for learning your, all those lines? and putting intention behind them so this is this role was a mountain i mean a marathon and a mountain like it was the iron man of all roles i i've never had and probably never will have a role that was so challenging physically emotionally vocally memorization wise it, it really was kind of like being a one-woman show and, it, and being a human cartoon because the Rage Fairy plays every range of human emotions, sometimes within the span of 30 seconds on stage. Um, so Right. It was like very eccentric and like very dynamic. It wasn't like flatline. It was like there's so much going on in every scene, but you were in every scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then manifesting a hurricane at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I took the script, the first thing that I needed to do is figure out who this who she is and why she says everything that she says. So I spent an entire week just doing script analysis and looking at every line, every relationship to every character and figuring out why she was saying what she was saying. What tactic was she trying to use to get what she wanted in that scene from that person? And, uh, and, and once I got inside of her head, then I knew how to approach the script. So if you were to look at my script, I, I typed out the script word for word, like myself, and then made notes. So every emotion had a different color. 
in the script so I highlighted it in a different color for every emotion and then underneath in italics I would write what she was thinking while she was saying it. Uh, then I needed to work on the vocal performance so which words got different inflections because when you're dealing with comedy there really is a rhythm and a musicality to things uh, so sometimes you emphasize this word right or sometimes you take a pause or sometimes you rush through things all of those musical beats of the text were very important so that the jokes would land so that was an entire week of work over Christmas break just being with the script before we even talk about memorization because I didn't want to memorize anything that wasn't wasn't if I didn't understand it right if I didn't understand it there's no point in learning learning the words so then when I moved to memorization I know this about myself I'm an auditory kinesthetic so when I learn anything I need to listen to it and also it needs to come out of my mouth and be physicalized in some way. So I'll give you an example. When I started learning French, I was listening to French podcasts and I would learn French while I was running. So I was like physically moving my body and also repeating back the phrases while I was listening to it. So that's auditory kinesthetic. I learned how to speak French in a very short amount of time because I was hacking my own brain, what I know about myself. So with Rage Fairy, I recorded myself doing all of the scenes, all of the dialogue, my dialogue and other people's dialogue because I had to I had to memorize my responses to them, not just what I needed to do, but also what they were doing so I knew how I felt about what they were saying, right? Even if I wasn't talking. So this is, this is like, I know it sounds like really complex, but it was such a complex role. Um, so once I recorded myself saying everything, then I listened to each scene over and over and over while I was walking and until I could recite it word for word and that process the memorization process took a week so it took a week of script analysis and a week of memorization and I, I was the first person off book in the show even though I had 95% of the dialogue wow that's impressive that's incredible if you give me a mountain, I'm going to climb it. <laughs> you climbed it and planted your flag. <laughs> I did. What is it that inspires you the most? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, the reasons that I do things now in my life are coming from such a different place. And you asked me the fuel for my fire. And I think... In my 20s, it was desperation. Desperation to prove that my life mattered. And that's a very powerful fuel. But it also burned me out. That fuel burns really hot. And I never felt at ease in my life. Even though I had moments of joy, right, they were short-lived because there was always something else that I needed to do to prove that my life had meaning and that it mattered. And in the last two years since my father passed, which was probably the defining moment of my life, 
the reason that I do things now is less about trying to prove myself and more about trying to love myself the best way that I can. And so I think what continues to inspire me are how do I create more moments in my life where I feel in my life, where I fall in love with my life and I'm in my life. And I'm getting closer and closer to figuring out what that is, even as I'm changing and evolving and that will continue to, what, what makes me feel in my life, what makes me feel connected to myself, to the people around me and to the community at large those interests and passions will change but love is the driving force now and that's what continues to inspire me wow beautiful thank you for that so what does the word leadership mean to you i think the truest leadership comes from having a deep understanding of who you are and what you're here to do, how, in what ways you're called to serve. And a lot of people talk about servant leadership, and I think that that can get misconstrued because living your life in service to others is a, is a good thing, but you can burn out on that too. You, living your life in service to others without taking care of yourself is just as selfish as living life fully in service to yourself, right? So I think a true leader understands who they are, what they're here to do, and everything they do comes from a deep, love for themselves and responsibility for those around them to just try to love and take care of everybody including themselves the best that they can and sometimes it's not 100% possible and you do your very best but tomorrow's another day right and you can try again I think you're a shining example of everything you just shared thank you when we talk about the labyrinth of the leader and overcoming some of those chapters in your life uh, that you shared with us earlier, was there anything in particular, uh, maybe in that chapter or another chapter that really kind of helped shape the life you're living today? It really was the loss of my dad. Mm. That My condolences. Thank you. Thank you. It was the hardest and it was the hardest gift. I'll say that. It was the hardest gift of my life was the death of my father. And my father and I had a very complicated relationship and, and much of my desire to prove myself and this, this energy and drive came from a desire to please him and to get love from him because he was often very inconsistent with the way that he loved me. In our final moments together before he died, I came to understand that the limits of his love were really just the limits of his, his body. His nervous system 
was limited in its capacity to express love for me because of his trauma, because of his brain, because of his depression, his bipolar disorder, his abuse that he suffered. He was trying to express love through a nervous system that was compromised and a body that was compromised. And now that my father is free from his body, I have felt the unconditional love of his true nature. And that has brought forgiveness. It's brought healing. It's brought peace to my life. And it's, it's allowed me to let go of needing to prove myself and be worthy of love because I am inherently loving love and worthy of love. So his, his death healed a lot of that for me. You know, he, he taught me in his death how to love myself because he loves me perfectly now that he's free from his body. So I aspire to love myself the way that my late father loves me now. The other thing that I realized in my final conversation with my father was that he had a lot of regrets. And I didn't want to have any in my life. I don't want to live my life for anybody else except for me and what's true for me, what's good for me, me in the past, me now, and me in the future. Um, because if I'm loving me and living for me the best, I will show up as the best version of myself. I won't be in fight or flight. I won't be resisting my life. I will be falling in love with my life. The more that I fall in love with my life, the more that I fall in love with myself, the more that I'm able to love everyone around me and pour my heart, my whole heart, because I'll be showing up wholly in everything that I do. So that idea of no regrets pushed me to make some really profound major changes in my life that led me to Los Angeles and led me back to pursuing a life in the arts. Wow. Thank you for opening up and being vulnerable. And thank you for your honesty and thank you for your beautiful heart. It's not common for people to transcend that type of love from losing somebody. And sometimes a part of us dies with that person if we let it and, and you chose to let it expand you and let it heal you and let it become more fuel and let it be a part of you in a healthy and beautiful way. Thank you. It's amazing. So in earning the trust of people, we talked about just meeting people to expand your circle, to build community, earning trust. That's part of that process. What does that process take for you when trying to earn trust from people in business or just outside of business, just personally? I think asking people to help you <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay. asking people for advice is a great way to show vulnerability and that showing vulnerability allows people to grant 
to trust you. I think a lot of people are trying to help other people in exchange for trust. Like, hey, let me do this for you and then you'll trust me. But I think it's the opposite. I think it's when you invite someone else to come and support you in whatever way they can. Uh, it feels good for them, right? And uh, and kind of bonds you in a very particular way and creates safety for them to be vulnerable to you. Just like I asked you to help me with this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And here we are. Um, amazing, amazing. We will be right back with 20 Degrees Deeper into the labyrinth with our leader, Holly Ann Mitchell, after a word from our sponsors. We would like to thank our sponsor, One Education, One World, a Section 501c3 certified nonprofit on a mission to bring quality education to children in the rural parts of the world that do not have access to schools. OEOW gives these children quality education by providing them with an educational space, curriculum, supplies, qualified teachers and leadership in underserved communities. The focus is to inspire hearts and minds of all children while fostering their social, psychological, and spiritual well-being. If you'd like to learn more on how to support OEOW and bring quality education to underprivileged children, please visit www.oneeducationoneworld.org forward slash donations. Help us make a positive change in our world and our children's lives. Education is the right of every child, even a child far away, living in dire conditions in far-to-reach places. We would like to thank our sponsor, Imagine Collective, your premier experience agency, leading California's central and southern regions in event planning and management, digital and experiential marketing, brand partnerships, and more serving all coastal and inland communities from Monterey County down to San Diego County in the great Golden State. One of my favorite things about Imagine Collective is they donate a portion of their proceeds to a trusted charity of your choosing for each service they provide. Contact them today at 323-207-9572 and visit their website for more information at The Imagine Collective Dot com. Mention Leaders Labyrinth and enjoy 20% off your first service. Imagine Collective. Let's collectively imagine how to make our world a better place through the everyday work we do together. We would like to thank our sponsor, Malibu Audubon, a car collective known for its unique events in Southern California. Hosting epic and beautiful scenic group drives in Malibu and producing concerts in LA. But there's a lot more to it than just these events. Beyond its popular line of apparel, Malibu Audubon is well known as a curator for some of today's biggest music videos, TV shows, and other productions, sourcing and handling rare special vehicles for all types of projects. You can learn more and join Malibu Audubon at MalibuAudubon.com or simply visit at Malibu Audubon on Instagram.
We're here with Holly Ann Mitchell going 20 degrees deeper into the labyrinth where I ask our leader 20 design questions to get to know the, know them even better on a mental, spiritual, and emotional level. So Holly, are you ready? I'm ready for it. All right. Question number one, how do you start your day? Do you have any morning routines or non-negotiables? I start my day with a really hot shower, like crazy hot, crazy hot, crazy long. Um, I've got like a really strong skincare game. This happened to me during the pandemic because I used to get facials regularly. And then when I couldn't get facials, I started doing them at home for myself. So I have like this really relaxing skincare morning routine that it's also really good for producing serotonin in your brain because when you apply pressure to your face, uh, when you're touching your face, you're creating slower brain waves. So it kind of, it's relaxing, it's opening up your creativity. Um, so yeah, anytime you're like massaging your face, it's really, really good for your brain, but also very good for your skin because you know, um, we got it. We got to look pretty. That's important. We got it. We got to self care. We got to feel pretty. We got to look pretty. Um, so that's kind of my morning routine. And then I always have to have breakfast cause I'm stup- super starving from eight in the morning till two o'clock every day. Like I could eat seven times in those six hours and never be satisfied. And then I'm not hungry after that. So I always have a, a very big breakfast to start my day. Second question, what is your favorite quality about yourself? My heart. (laughs) I don't know if that sounds corny, but I have such a heart for my heart. Um, I, I mean, I know me better than anybody else in the whole wide world. And I know that everything that I have done, good or bad, has always just been trying to get love. And um, so I just, I have such a heart for my heart. And I think going through grief in many ways has helped me understand the depth of my heart and my capacity to love. Feeling, feeling grief has, I, I associate grief with love. It's the deepest form of love. And, uh, and I got a really, really, really big heart. So that's what I love most about myself. What characteristic do you value in other people? Kindness. Kindness. I love people who are kind. Y'all, kindness is sexy. It's sexy. Like when somebody's kind, you're like, yeah, I see you over there. I see you. I see you tipping that server extra and like giving them the smile and the thumbs up and remembering their name. Like those smile acts of kindness. I see you like helping somebody with the door. I see you. I see you and I think it's hot and I like it. Question number four. If you could travel back in time to any era, what time period would you want to live in? You know, I always felt like I belonged in old Hollywood, although that was such a hard time to be a woman, you know. Um, but I, I just, it's so glamorous. I feel like my aesthetic would work really well. It would be pretty cool to be in those old movies and be one of those pioneers. I love Betty Davis. I've been told I look just like her so many times. I've got those big Betty Davis eyes. 
Um, so yeah, maybe maybe old Hollywood and experience, you know, the decadence of that that golden era. You you have that classic Hollywood look. Um, some Marilyn Monroe, some Betty Davis, some other, um, you know, classic um, Hollywood actresses. I, I feel like you would do so well in that era. I'm here for it. <laughs> what is a book that had impacted your life or that you would recommend to others? Well, I think the book that came up today, I think that's the one that needs to come through. It's How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I, and I see you using it too, Michael. I see you in your acts of kindness to others. It's hot. I'm into it. But it also comes from Dale Carnegie, you know, treat others the way that you want to be treated, right? And uh, at the end of your life, what's left is the legacy that you left behind. And that legacy lives on through the relationships that you had and the people who were around you to experience you at your best self. So the tips and techniques in that book, though it was written almost a hundred years ago, still ring true today. Beautiful, beautiful. It doesn't matter how many houses you have or how many Lamborghinis you acquire in life, you can't take it with you to the next realm. Yeah. But what stays here is the way you made people feel and the impact you had on the world. Yeah. If you could sit on a bench and have a deep discussion with anyone alive or dead, who would it be and why? Ah, oh, it would, it would be my dad. Yeah. I miss him every day. That's so sweet. I miss him every day. I want to talk, I want to talk to, I want to talk to my ghost dad. Like the dad who was not beaten down mm. by the world, you know, like the true him at his heart and soul. Mm -hmm. Maybe him as a young man. I'd like to speak to my dad as a young man. I want to know what his dreams are and what he knows about life. I want to know what advice he would have for me. Yeah. That's beautiful. What is one of the most important lessons that you learned in a relationship? Oh, that's a hard question. I have not been lucky in love. I've loved many. And I've, I feel like I've always been really great at friendships, showing up for people and giving people admiration for who they are. And then the second that they become a romantic partner, there's something in me that gets afraid. <laughs> um, and I'm still working through that. So the first lesson that I learned in relationships is how to express what I need. I, I think that early on, not so early on, for many years, I compromised who I was in service to my partner. I sacrificed my needs in service to what they wanted. And the long game of that resulted in resentment when... I really should have just been honest that things weren't working for me or that I needed more. And 
it probably would have ended a lot sooner. I'm very good at performing CPR on relationships long after they've <laughs> been dead. I'm so persistent. Like I will uh-huh. keep working on that thing for two years, that that dead relationship body. <laughs> Not giving up on you. Um, so yeah, learning learning how to express my needs and and now what I'm learning how to do is to create space for both people to have needs. And, you know, because I, I kind of swung the other way once I realized I hadn't had a voice in many relationships for many years. And so so then I was overexpressing and over articulating my needs. And now I'm, I'm having a balance where I have needs, this other person has needs, and they're going to meet some of them, but not all of them. And trying to have as much gratitude and admiration for who they are exactly as they are in this moment. And that's a practice. Beautiful. Thank you. What is a powerful piece of knowledge or advice someone gave you that helps shift your perception on life? I think when we're talking about relationships, one very painful idea when it was first shared with me has created a lot of awareness in in many ways so and I'll tell you the story so I I always went for men who were not available (laughs) I was always attracted to to men who were not available in some kind of way um I I dated someone for a very long time who was married I dated someone after that who never said I love you I dated someone after that who was not sexually available to me. And so this pattern of falling for people who weren't available, I think came from a wanting to prove, right? Wanting to prove myself. If I can convince this person who's not available to love me, then I get to win. And then I get to heal this part of myself that always wanted to prove that I was worthy of love to my father. And the way that this was shown to me was in a workshop for neurolinguistic programming, which I studied. I have a master practitioner in, and it's a it's a coaching technique, also a technique used by many therapists and psychologists to help people change patterns in their brain through language, neuro, uh, neurolinguistic programming, basically reprogramming the brain through language patterns and patterns of. Uh, of how you think about things, patterns of thought. So I asked my teacher in this workshop, I was struggling with what's the difference between attraction and attachment and why was I always attracted to these people who were wrong for me? And he said, that isn't attraction, that's anxiety. Mm. And as soon as he said that, Like I felt the floor leave my feet, (laughs) which was kind of like, oh, right. And the penny dropped like way, way, way down in this old pattern. And and I realized that he was absolutely right. Like this this anxiety and, and love was taught to me wrapped in anxiety because my father suffered from anxiety and always this anxiety of is he going to like me today or is he not going to like me today because of his bipolar disorder? So love and anxiety were so closely intertwined. 
that I didn't recognize love apart from anxiety. And so I was, I was primed to crave love that was entangled in anxiety. And the second that I realized this, I was able to start pursuing partners that made me feel at ease when I was around them. And you weren't tolerating toxicity anymore. Yeah. What is your definition of success? And what did it take for you to come to that definition? Oh, that has been such a journey for me because I've always been an ambitious person, a very driven person. And success was was this goalpost that kept getting moved further and further along, right? Because if if we use external standards of success, whatever Instagram tells us is a successful looking life or whatever our friends are doing or whatever the people at NSA are doing or however much money is in your bank account, there could always be more. And it's this this never ending pursuit and whatever what I've realized recently is all of those measurements of success are coming from that void of not enough if I agree that I am already enough if I agree that I'm already lovable if I agree that I'm already successful what does that give me freedom to choose what does that give me freedom from And I think that that's the definition of success is having freedom to choose and having freedom from anything that was holding you back from before. And so when I agree that I'm already successful, when I agree that I'm already lovable, when I agree that I'm already enough and believe that, it gives me freedom to choose a life that makes me happy. And so my success now, my measurement of success is how often I am really present to this moment in my life because I'm really in my life and I'm not trying to live someone else's life. I'm not living for the future. I'm living right here, right now. The more that I'm doing that, I know that I'm on the right track. Powerful, powerful. Thank you. Do you have a daily mantra or a philosophy on life I would say my philosophy on life is question everything (laughs) including yourself (laughs) I love that (laughs) um I'm I'm always questioning my motives like Mm. am I doing this because I'm trying to prove something Am I doing this because of ego? Am I doing this because somebody told me it was the right thing to do or it's a good thing to do or I should be doing this? Or am I doing it because I'm genuinely interested, curious, and passionate about this thing? I'm always questioning everything, right? That sounds like it can help clarify a lot of a lot of things. Yeah. Like don't like don't always trust that first initial belief don't don't trust the first idea just question it it might be right but just question it like where is that coming from is that coming from anxiety or is that coming from love is that coming from joy is that coming from curiosity is that coming from a desire for growth because I want to 
experience more things or is it a desire for growth because I feel like I'm not enough? I'm always going back to that questioning of my motives, questioning my thoughts um, because sometimes there's something deeper there or something truer there that I'm not able to see. Brilliant. Why do you think we are here as a human species? Um, I love John Lennon. (laughs) I wouldn't call this, I wouldn't call this a religious belief. I would call this a very personal experience. I have experienced at moments in my life that there is something bigger than my body. And I would probably call that a soul. And there are two parts to that soul. One is the holly that has lived this life. There's a soul that is being expressed through a body, through a nervous system, through a genetic coding, and a lifetime worth of experiences that filter information and get communicated through my actions, choices, and words and behaviors. That is one version of my soul. That's Holly, quote unquote, as she was named 35 years ago, right? That's one version of soul. It's, it's the unique me. But there's another part of that soul that is connected to everybody else. We are experiencing this life in the same room right now in proximity to one another, you and I. We are experiencing this moment. We are experiencing this life. And we are co-creating life. We are co-creating a moment right now, which we don't know the ripple effects of this conversation, right? So we're co-creating in in conversation with the people who are listening. That part of soul is connected in you and and connected in the person who's listening who I haven't even met, right? We're all having a shared experience. So I believe that the reason that we're here And those two souls are operating at the same time, right? The holly and then the something that's beyond holly that's also in you. I think that we're here to heal because the more that we can heal, the more we have access to the best parts of holly and the more we have access to that collective soul. Because when the nervous system falls away, we can see each other. And we can co-create something very beautiful. So I believe that we're here to heal. I believe that we're here to co-create. And I believe that we're here to love. However much we can through a body that is limited in its capacity to love. Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. If reincarnation is real, what animal would you want to be in your next life? 
I feel like I want to be a sloth because I've lived this life so productively. I feel like I need a vacation life, right? Like, I don't know. Sloths are like so chill. They're like, you know, they're like the LA stoner dude. Like, yeah, man, like it's all good. <laughs> I, I want to be a sloth. Like that song you and I were listening to before we got on this conversation that, hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. <laughs> I feel like that's the sloth all the time. So I think because I've worked so hard in this life and focused a lot on productivity and and filled so many hours of my day I would like my next life to be super chill and like that's it (laughs) (laughs) you've earned it you've earned it (laughs) vacation life all the time they're they're such fascinating creatures I feel like I could create that in my life now though if I choose if I choose it you could be a sloth tomorrow I could but still be holly I think so with a collective soul that's right (laughs) What is a one quote that resonated profoundly with you? There's a quote by Carl Rogers that changed the way that I relate to people. And I am probably going to not say it word for word, but I'll, I'll try to recall it as best as I can. When you look at a sunset, you don't say to the sunset, oh, I wish you were a little more orange on the corner (laughs) over here right he says that people are sunsets people are as beautiful as sunsets if you let them be and it, it changed the way that I related to people in my life is to try to find the beauty in in their own particular sunset their purples and their pinks and their oranges that were different than mine um, there is so much beauty in people and there's there's also a lot of pain and that's beautiful too because that's a shared human experience there is nothing there is no ugliness anger is beautiful it can be righteous and indignant and useful for change sadness is beautiful it's grief it is love it is it is the heart calling forth for something different it is the heart asking to be seen and heard and understood so deeply. So I, I think that there is beauty in, in all of the light that we have as sunsets. And I also believe that there is beauty in the twilight and the darkness that uh, is part of the experience of, of sunset as it creeps in. So that, that uh, I think is my, my personal experience and definition of compassion and I really love that quote I think the more that I try to appreciate the sunset in every person the more I'm able to connect with them what a wonderful and beautiful quote to share and what a great way to just shape perspective in such a simple way that everyone can relate to thank you you're welcome What is one of the most powerful investments you have made with no money? One of the most powerful investments that I've made with no money probably is just persistence with things that I'm passionate about. And and sometimes there's no monetary (laughs) 
exchange at all, right? Just following down the path of something I'm interested in and investing time and energy there, whether whether it be learning French, right? Just because I want to learn it and I enjoy learning languages. Ah, oui, oui, enchanté, mademoiselle. Ah. Je m'appelle Michael Grant. Et toi, comment vas-tu? Enchanté, je me débrouille. <laughs> uh, you sound good. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. I investing in learning just because you're curious about it, investing in people because they light up your soul, mm. right? Um, I think just following what brings you joy and investing time and energy there, even if there's no money in it, it's, it's an investment in love for yourself because you're filling your life with things that make you happy. Wow. Again, beautiful. Thank you so much. Okay. If there is one word that comes to mind that sets your soul on fire, what word would that be? I think the word is leap. That's cool. I think the word is leap. Um, there are moments in your life where you will feel the call to leap and you cannot see what's on the other side. You know, mm. they always say, look before you leap. But there are many important moments in your life where you need to leap before you can look. And you will feel it in your bones when it's time. It is an act of courage and an act of love to leap when your bones are compelling you to. Because no matter what happens, something beautiful will come out of it. Because you are beautiful and you will put beauty into whatever is about to happen and the other thing is you listened to yourself you trusted yourself above all others and you didn't let anything hold you back and you will not have any regrets because you leapt when you knew you should beautiful thank you processing okay you getting emotional yes what does that bring up for you it brings up possibility of learning of how much love you have to give through expression of your passion and exploring what expands you and how that expansion brings more value to the world. So if you, if you enjoy singing, but you're not a singer, you have to find a way to incorporate that passion into your life because it's a, it's a part of you and it needs to, it needs a place to, to grow and it needs life. It needs to breathe and to not explore that or whatever that may be, it creates um, a resentment. It creates yeah. suppression or depression. And it's important to, you know, give yourself an opportunity to see who you really are. And 
like you said, trust the leap. There's a great uh, saying that always stuck with me that keep taking the next step, even though you can't see the entire staircase. Yeah. And there's a great, um, a great saying that the architect of the universe didn't lead a stairway leading nowhere. So it'll always take you somewhere. It's hard when you don't know where you're going. It's really hard. Most people don't. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's the magic of life. Because if you knew where you were going to end up, it would take a lot of the life experience out of the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to suffer. You have to win. You have to love. You have to lose. But it's all beautiful because it creates your life and who you are. And the destination is not life. It's it's the process, right? And it's how you how you react to the process, how you deal with it, how you contribute to it that really kind of creates that journey for you. Yeah. I think it's it's really about removing obstacles to your heart. And and just as you said, if we don't listen to our heart when we need something or or when something feels true for us, it's like divorcing a part of yourself, silencing a part of yourself. I did that for so many years, so many years, and I was just surviving in my life. I was succeeding, but I wasn't, I wasn't thriving. I wasn't in my life. When you can trust yourself and give yourself the gift of, of listening, you never know where that impulse is going to lead you. And what I think is so beautiful about, about anything, a conversation like this, or creating a business these are all just containers they're containers for us to heal they're containers for us to share and connect and create and grow if we let them be or we could just go through the motions and survive there's no point in living to just survive we should all be here to thrive And if there's anything standing in your way of that, something you've got to heal, something you've got to break up with, (laughs) someone you've got to break up with, something you've got to burn down or move out of the way, anything that is standing in the way of you living in your life and being in your life and falling in love with your life and connecting where you're at in that container. Sometimes to build a bridge, you got to burn one. That's right. I've used many matches in my life. No regrets. I'm I'm a serial arsonist of my life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you smell something? Um, okay, so if you had a chance to meet your younger self as a child and share a piece of wisdom of what you have now learned to be true in life, what wisdom would you give to little Holly? Oh, I talk to her a lot. Mm. Still do. All the time. She's with me. I I read a a quote one time. It said that you're not 35. You're 16 and 22 and 7 and 27. Way more than you're 35. Because all those parts of you have been with you much longer than your 35-year-old self. And so I, I still talk to her, little Holly. And... 
what, what I tell her all the time is I love you so much and I have your back and I'm waiting for you. So much goodness is waiting for you and you're going to be okay. It's beautiful. When you think of a great leader, who is the first person that comes to your mind? I think of my mother. Yeah. I think she was the leader of our family. Mm-hmm. My mother is a leader. She is the chief nursing officer for a hospital in Western Kentucky. She's very good at what she does. She leads all of the nursing staff and and is an executive and, and sits on the board. But I, I got to see her leadership in our home. And she led through so many challenging circumstances, through dealing with my father who suffered from mental illness, my father who had an accident when I was 19 years old. He was in a traumatic brain injury accident. He, he was riding a motorcycle without a helmet. And she led his recovery um, to the extent that he was able to recover. She, she led us through financial stress. She was the leader of all of her children's passions. She supported in every way that she could. She figured out what each of us individually needed uniquely. And she made every sacrifice and every opportunity for us to be able to express what we were passionate about. I would say that my mother was an extraordinary leader and only now has she been able to start loving herself and focusing on herself. And that is such a joy to watch. My, my mother has since remarried. My, my stepfather is amazing, a gift to, our, so nice. to our family. Yeah. And, uh, and they are focused on their own joy now for the first time instead of their children. And so she's, she's leading again. She's leading by example um, of what it means to, um, you know, kind of get that second wind in life after so much tragedy. So I really admire her strength. And uh, I, I try to have both. I, I try to have the mother when I was younger, the mother who was strong and steady. I try to do that for people and, and to do that for myself. But I also try to be my mother late in her life who is enjoying life and, and focusing on the things that, that bring her joy. I try to do both. That's wonderful. Thank you. What is your greatest fear? My greatest fear used to be death. And death without having anything to leave behind that was substantial or significant in my life. It was, so not anymore? Yeah. That, uh, that got resolved more recently. Uh, I think my, my greatest fear... I think, I think my greatest fear is not listening to myself. Hmm. But that's not a real fear because that was an old version of me who was surviving. 
So I can't think of anything that I'm truly afraid of. I think that definitely qualifies. I don't, I don't think that I will relive the past mm-hmm. as long as I'm aware of it and resolving it and working through it. I can recognize when it creeps up and, and work through it. So I think I'm trying to replace fear with trust, with faith, faith in myself. Do you feel that you would lose yourself when you wouldn't listen to yourself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I lost pieces of myself. Mm-hmm. I left pieces of myself behind. I think that's what trauma is. Trauma is when you give up a piece of yourself in order to survive. But healing is when you go back and you reclaim it. So you can change the past. Even if I were to make a mistake now, I could always go back and change it. So I don't think I'm really afraid anymore. It's powerful. Maybe for the first time ever. That's amazing. What is your greatest version of happiness? Hmm. Listening to avalanches. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. There's so many. Sure. But I, I think the one that comes to mind is the the last musical that I did. Turkey's the musical. It's a Thanksgiving themed musical. I was there. I, I saw it. It was really funny. You're such a supporter. I'm so grateful. Number one fan here. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being backstage yeah. with the cast and we had our arms around each other and it was one of our last shows and we had tears in our eyes and we were about to go out on stage and that feeling, we get to do this. I felt like that was heaven. Like, if heaven were on earth, that is the moment. It's being surrounded in community by other people who you love and are friends with, with your arms around each other, feeling the excitement that you're about to create something really magical, and knowing how precious it is because it's all about to end. That is happiness to me. Thank you. To our audience and the people listening, how can they get involved or provide support for your cause? Right now, I'm really interested in helping people who want to reinvent themselves. And I would say who want to break up with their life. Um, As I mentioned before, I have not been lucky in love and I've been through some doozies of breakups. But those breakdowns, those breakups have always been incredible breakthrough moments of healing, of reclaiming pieces of myself and setting new intentions that were closer to what's true for me and and how I want to live in my life and how I want to contribute to the world. Those moments of breaking are powerful when your heart breaks open, so much can pour in to you and come out of you. Um, that's what I want to help facilitate for people is if they need to break up with a person, a job, <laughs> a portion of their life, a city. <laughs> I have been there. Um, I want to be that person to help them reinvent themselves. And so uh, anybody who is curious about how they can do that. They can reach out to me on Instagram. 
at Holly Ann, Holly with a Y, Ann with an E, underscore Mitchell, Mitchell with two L's. They can visit my website, hollyannmitchell.com, or they can email me, holly at leadwellnetwork.com. Wonderful. If you're ready to transform, you know where to go. To, uh, so this is a part of the show called Messages to Mankind, where I ask our leader a hypothetical question, and the question is this. If the whole world had suddenly stopped to listen to only one message from you, and you are reaching every single human being on the planet, no matter where anyone is in the world, they can all understand you. And you got to carry forward only this one message to all of humanity to help make an impact. What would be your message to mankind? Hug each other. Hug each other. After this period of quarantining and working from home and being separate from one another, we need touch, safe, consensual touch. We need it so much. Our brains need it. Our bodies need it hug each other, hold on to each other, touch each other. Because that connection reminds us of why we're here. And it shows people that they are important. It shows them, it's a small gesture to show somebody how significant they are. Because at the worst moment of my life, when I thought I needed to end it, was because I felt so insignificant and that I didn't have anything that was significant worth sharing or worth staying on this planet for. But when you hug people, you remind them that they are significant to you and that they are connected to something beyond their body. That, I think, is incredibly important, so simple, and so necessary. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you. Holly, I want to honor you for your openness, for your vulnerability, for your purpose of transforming people, for the kindness in your heart, for the depth of your courage, your creative genius, and your passionate about teaching the message of happiness to improve the lives of many. You have emerged from the labyrinth as a woman of powerful forces and leadership positive influence, healing, and sharing your love with the world. And because of you, people shine a little bit brighter. And it's a result of how much you invest within yourself to constantly expand who you are. So thank you for being a force of goodness, light, and love. And thank you for joining us in the labyrinth. Thank you for having me. Thank you for co-creating this space for connection, for sharing, for reflection, for intention, for healing. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, and thank you for being you.
Thank you for joining us in the labyrinth today with our leader, Holly Ann Mitchell. To stay up to date on all the amazing things Holly is bringing to the world, you may connect with her on Instagram at hollyann underscore Mitchell and spelled A-N-N-E or log on to her website at hollyannmitchell.com and learn more about her Lead Well Network. I hope that today's episode influenced the genius of your spirit, enriched the pillars of your wisdom, and colored the corners of your heart. For your soul is your paintbrush, your world is your canvas, and your life is your masterpiece. Awaken the leader within, and remember to ignite your light. Light.